Welcome to The Class Apart. I'm your host, Arjun. Thank you for joining me as I embark upon a journey across the world of higher education. Each episode, we'll discover exciting alumni experiences, gain industry insights with various stakeholders, and explore the ever-changing landscapes of global learning. Welcome back to another episode of The Class Apart. For all of you that have tuned in before to previous content, thank you very much for your patronage. If you haven't hit that subscribe button though, please do, please don't forget. For all of you that are tuning in for the very first time, welcome, welcome, much appreciated. And if you enjoyed today's content, please do hit that subscribe button. Today's guest is very interesting and brings a unique perspective. I'm very happy to have had the opportunity to have the conversation with him. But without further ado, Mr. Aditya Bhattacharya. Hi, Aditya. Thank you for coming on to the show. I appreciate it a lot. How are you doing? Thanks, Arjun. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing quite well. Just uh, trying to kind of make, continue to make my way through uh, life in Europe. So, uh, thank you for coming on the show. I mean, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I saw your post on LinkedIn and I understand that you've had quite a unique experience living in France. So before we get started, I just wanted to ask, like, which university did you go to and why did you decide to study in France? So I just graduated from Sciences Po Paris, which is better known as the Paris Institute of Political Sciences. And I came here for my undergrad, so it's been five years. I did three years of the undergrad and then I jumped straight to the master's, which is two years here. And I spent in between a year on exchange in Belgium. Wow. Well, that so, sounds like an amazing experience. It, it was. Uh, but the reason why I ended up in uh, France was a combination of factors. Mainly the big contributing factor was that I wanted to have the American dream, but it wasn't at an affordable price, let me put it that way. And uh, I did not want to have to make my parents pay up a lot of money for a university that I wasn't going to be happy getting into or trying to transfer out every year. Mm-hmm. So I decided to expand my search to go beyond the US and the UK. I looked into universities in Canada, I looked into universities in Singapore. And around that time, I kind of, I had heard of Sciences Po before, but it was very vague because when I was, when I had joined school the year before, there had been a delegation of an MUN team that had gone to an MUN at Sciences Po. Mm -hmm. So the name had been registered in my head, but then I realized that the year I was, in when I was in uh, last the last grade of high school, they had actually come to the uni- to, to the to the school to do a presentation about the university. Mm-hmm. I happened to be out of town on a on an MUN, ironically, <laughs> so I missed that. So I kind of circled back to my college counselor uh, at the school, and she said, "Well, if you're interested, we can set something up." And so I did their application, and I got. A call back for an, uh, for an interview in Delhi. It was interesting because it was actually quite late in the year. So I had actually done my interview two months after graduating from Doom. Yep. And so at this point it was kind of all or nothing. And eventually it worked out. Sound? That, I mean, that, that sounds pretty awesome. So from what I gather is that you were looking to go to the USA and then you kind of ended up in uh, France. But after reviewing your options in Canada, Singapore, UK, 
etc so it sounds like an international education was always on the cards there was no kind of option to study within india after you finished high school well uh, the the so the reason why i also was looking abroad from the start was because i was very set in the subject matter that i wanted to pursue which was either a major in history economics or political sciences or a combination yeah if possible i also applied to a lot of liberal arts colleges and my undergrad education was somewhat of liberal arts experience okay so the question to me was for me was if i stay in india i would want to go to a hindu college or st stephens mm-hmm. and the cutoffs are just insane but the cutoffs were insane and coming out of my exams in march i knew that i had done well but i knew that i had i i was not sure that i had done well enough and so um i actually got my decision to my decision my acceptance decision from sciences po the day before our isc results came out Mm-hmm. And so when I saw the email, I was over the moon. But my parents were like, "We'll know tomorrow where yeah. you're going." <laughs> so the deal was that if I did well enough to get into one of these universities, that's where I would go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah, definitely. I mean, see, this is the kind of thing that I also kind of observe. I mean, I give you a little bit of insight as to what I do for a living, and. I hear a lot of students complain about the cutoffs in India and to be very honest with you this is definitely from personal bias uh, 100% from my personal bias I do feel an international exposure is a lot more of a learning curve and provides a lot more understanding than you would get from a domestic institution just for natural and obvious reasons so what course did you do at sciences po so the undergraduate uh, like i mentioned is somewhat similar to the US model except that how it works at Sciences Po for the undergraduate is that um you do two years so you do two years in one of their campuses at one of their campuses in France and the third year you do abroad on exchange entirely so when you graduate you're actually no longer in France technically and in so how it follows the US model is that the first year you don't have any majors you just yeah. do a plethora of different courses you do introductions to everything So my first year it was basically a mix of constitutional law history and economics. Okay. And the second year you choose a major amongst them, but it's it's just one more course. Mm-hmm. And you still have compulsory courses on the side. So it was the same three major fields with more specialized um uh, curriculum more specialized subject matter. Yeah, exactly. Wow, so that's constitutional law, history and economics. What did you take in class 11 and 12? I took IST humanities. Fair, 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 fair. I always thought I might go the humanities route, but then I decided to go IB. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, so, uh IB was was my first choice, but because I wanted to be able to have the option of going to DU if it ever was made available to me. Yeah. Uh that is a discussion I had with my parents. because i did take is i I, t- i took ib for the the half semester that we have in the beginning of s form and i quite enjoyed that but i also knew that if i wanted to be rigorous in the academic requirements of ib yeah. and if i wanted to pursue all the extracurriculars that i wanted to do while i was still at school it would have been very difficult 
Yeah, yeah. So, as I said, very unique uh, option uh, to go to sciences, sciences po. So if we kind of look at it from a very macro perspective, you've graduated, you're living in Europe now. I'm assuming you must kind of be fluent in French at the moment. But from a macro perspective, straight off the bat, it's kind of a yes or no question, but obviously feel free to expand. Did your university meet your expectations? Um, overall, yes. Like, uh, you are correct. I actually am fluent in French. I still hesitate to say I've mastered it, but I know it. I speak it well enough to work bilingually. And so that is not an, not, not, not something that bothers me. In fact, it's something that is one of the things that I'm grateful for because having gone to a university in, in an Anglophone country, I would probably never have picked up another language. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, even if you do take language classes elsewhere, you're not immersed the same way we were here. So learning by immersion, that's one of the great things. One of the expectations that I did have was to learn French somewhat. I, in that respect, my expectation was exceeded because all throughout I've had the opportunity to take great language courses. Yeah. And I actually, I even started learning Spanish. So that's one of the great things. Linguistically, uh, it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. In terms of academic rigor it was interesting because while before i had gone on exchange i felt like i was not extremely challenged okay but that was more because i never put the same since graduating high school i never put the same kind of academic pressure on myself that i used to twice <laughs> <laughs> so i felt like i was doing above average without exerting too much effort but then when i went to a university in belgium for my exchange and because I was on exchange, my attendance wasn't required. So I was rarely in class and I was still getting the kind of grades that I used to get. So I realized that actually my, my university was more rigorous than I gave it credit for. And when I started my master's, I realized that that is because it is a university that is designed to give you the best of both. So mm-hmm. it is both an academic institution as well as a professional um, placement kind of institute. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in the negative sense. I mean that in, it's part of their philosophy. Mm-hmm. So we, I have had as many courses taught by policy researchers, uh, career professors, and full-time professionals. Okay. So and it's not a placement in the sense, like in India, when, when universities guarantee placements, it's like, okay, I'm definitely going to get a job. Not like that. No, it's, they will give you the best possible tools if you know what you want, even if you don't, I didn't know what I wanted, but I still just go into a class of someone who's, you know, where very often, uh, like in my master's, I focused on European affairs. Mm-hmm. And so every time we'd have certain classes, our professors would literally be coming in off the train from Brussels. So it doesn't get much more <laughs> hands-on than that. It's very typically European to, to kind of, yeah. To, yeah. so... You know, we had people who were briefing us on about how policy decisions were made in the government, how competition law authorities operate, things like mm-hmm. that. Researchers telling us about how in-depth economic analysis needs to be if you ever want to do a PhD. So in that respect, I think I was, maybe I realized that I am more inclined for the professional career than mm-hmm. the academic career that many of my friends sought or seek are seeking out. Um, but if I had, if the expectation was, I know if I want to come out of here knowing what I want to do with my life, I think that was met. Wow. I mean, 
yeah, that sounds quite like quite a fulfilling and wholesome experience. Uh, not just kind of a humdrum, all right, I'm going to go to class, I'm going to graduate, get a job. It kind of gave you various perspectives with which direction do you want to go in. You get to meet different professionals from different kind of avenues. You've got the academic perspectives as well. It sounded like it gave you kind of exposure to as much as it could as a university and institution. Yeah, it was basically that. It was a lot of exposure. I, at the time, I would often complain about the fact that even though I had a master specializing in different things, it felt like I was taking courses that were unrelated. But in hindsight, I realized that, you know, when now when you look at job applications, you have uh, new com- young companies that are starting out, for example, that require a communications, marketing, and public relations specialist all in one. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's and so this is the, these are the kind of positions that where you realize that, you know, it would have been nice if you had experience or if you at least had class or if you had at least interacted with someone who worked in these professions. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, so I'm obviously, kind of, yeah. so obviously, I mean, you're from India and I'm assuming and correct me if I'm wrong, that you had not been to France before you decided to go to university there. So it is true that I've never lived in France. I've always lived in India. Yeah. But I had visited France once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was in the south of France. It was near Marseille. And um, I had never fathomed that I would ever live there. So <laughs> yeah, you could kind of rule out any bias. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, caused. when you kind of landed, say, like, you know, you've got admission, you've got your visa and everything uh, sorted, and you land, did you suffer from a culture shock? I think the most notable thing that I realized when we got out of the airport was that there's a lot less people, there's a lot less noise. <laughs> <laughs> there's not a lot of cars that are honking their horns. In fact, nobody is. Yeah. Um, no, there was definitely a culture shock, but I think I was lucky to have been at the campus and the kind of city that I was going to mm-hmm. at the time because the the curriculum was entirely in english aside Mm -hmm. from a few courses that you could opt to take in french Mm -hmm. and i was surrounded by people who had a minimum level of english in terms of my teachers and my classmates Mm -hmm. so there was a culture shock but there were enough people around who noticed that we were that all the international students were having this culture shock and they were accommodating enough to kind of you know, walk us through it. And they actually invited us to tell us, they kind of got us to open up about ourselves and explaining and asking us to explain why this felt so strange to us. Yeah. So, I mean, the support system that the university provided with your peers and even the faculty at university, sounds like they did a great job. Well, I think the peers definitely did, a, did they held up their end of the bargain, I guess. Um, in terms of faculty, I think sometimes it was kind of tricky because how it works is that the main university is based in Paris, mm-hmm. which is where I did my master's. But the undergrad was in a city called Havre in Normandy. And so most of our professors were commuting back and forth from Paris. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really have office hours that were accessible to us. Mm-hmm. So ah, in, that, okay. in that respect, it was kind of challenging. Yep. And I don't recall having us, like we had a doctor who was affiliated to the campus. Mm-hmm on the first year, but it was only in second year that we began to have her come in in-house and that we had a psychologist come in. Okay. So I think they were kind of slow to mm-hmm. getting with the whole movement towards ensuring better mental health. 
for university students. Definitely. So in that respect, I often found that we were only opening up to each other. And while it was good to at least open up, in hindsight, I don't think we were in any position to give advice or yeah. <laughs> make recommendations. If I give you one of my examples, it might help uh, in context with the next question. But I mean, where are some of the places that you can identify where you struggled? Like one for me was that, you know, in school, we weren't allowed phones. And suddenly you're at university, uh, I have a bank account, I have money coming in and leaving that bank account, got money budgeting issues, you've got technology issues. I mean, it was just kind of a little bit overwhelming initially. So where are some of the kind of identifiable places where you did struggle and you had to kind of, you know, pull up your socks and just deal with it? Well, I definitely, I definitely agree with the, the idea of being responsible for your own finances. I think, yeah. <laughs> that, I think that, was, that was so much of a struggle as it was a constant weight on every decision that I was taking at the time. Yep. Because the year would start, you know, I'd pay off my rent and things and then I'd be like, well, I have all this money. What should I be doing with it? Should I be spending it while I can or should I be saving it up? And I realized that after five years now, I am... For the last year and a half, I've been um, interning and work and doing my class at the same time while living in Paris, which is a much more expensive city. But in terms of net spend, I'm spending less than I was when I was living in a cheaper city with more resources. Mm -hmm. So I think definitely find like budgeting for yourself is something that should be taken seriously, especially if you're someone um, who came here on a scholarship like I did. So you always have this, there's this chip on your shoulder that, you know, this money isn't just for fooling around or yeah. getting drinks, which is not, it's not wrong. But at the same time, you're not here just to study either. You're here to, to live. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's something that is often overlooked when taking into account uh, decisions as to where to go to study and where to, because it's, you go to study there and you also live there. Yeah. Um, aside from that, I think. I definitely didn't learn as much French in my first year as I would have liked, but I think I made up for it over time. But it was true that in the early years, I kind of felt like I could only speak English and it kind of restricts you in terms of the friends you can make. Mm -hmm. And in a country where it's not the primary language, it keeps you from really experiencing yeah. the best that they have to offer. And um, I think finally, just I've the, the final thing I would probably have say that I struggled with was the just the kind of freedom that we had to do things which is particular to you and me because we were going <laughs> to the ability to get a beer whenever you wanted um, and also because um, in India for example you can't buy a beer anywhere in France you can't yeah <laughs> you don't have special. it's kind of getting getting ready to deal with alcohol getting ready getting uh, you know trying to get uh, get used to things like alcohol uh, tobacco you know, wherever it will come up, uh, kind of illegal substances that your friends would be yep. using. <laughs> yeah. Um, these are all things that are very real that you never experienced before, that you never had to worry about. Yeah. Or you did, but nobody knew. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think on the financial aspect, I struggled a lot. Uh, I think uh, initially when we started, my dad would give me money every month and he'd be like, this is what you got for the month. Deal with it. After three months dad realized that that's not going to work uh, because the money would disappear after two and a half weeks and i'd just be calling dad like dad i need some more like you can't leave me hungry so you know you're gonna have to kind of you know help me out a little bit so then he decided to give me money every week uh, that worked out a little bit better i'm not going to say significantly but but yeah 
it's funny that you mentioned the kind of alcohol, tobacco, illegal substances, because those are all things that are very, very real. And I think that in this mad push to get a degree from an international university, kind of have that reputation, kind of get that qualification, a lot of people forget that there's a huge lifestyle adjustment that also needs to be factored in uh, when you're going and studying in a country that you've either never been to before or you've just visited in a very sheltered environment with your family. What were some of the things that you would have liked to know before you actually visited or before you started uh, started at university? I think there's one thing that is that is kind of, um, it is, I think, the same for any international student everywhere, no matter what country they come from. But I think the one thing I would have liked to be prepared for mentally going in is that even after five years, I would, at every turn, be forced to prove to people that I was good enough to stay here and that I was not a threat to them. Ah. And I say okay. that as someone who speaks a language and as someone who's, who's worked in uh, at least two different workplaces and I've uh, lived in another country and worked there briefly as well. Mm-hmm. And it's not a question, it's not like everybody sees you as a threat, but it's just that everybody, until you break that barrier down and you demonstrate to them, for example, that you speak French and that I've, that you've been to Sciences Po, that people are like, oh, okay, yeah, you're, you're cool, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And that is the kind of benefit, of, they don't give us that kind of benefit of the doubt that they would to someone from their own yeah. country. So it feels like you're constantly having to prove your worth and kind of prove that, yeah, I mean, I'm here, like, I've got equal opportunity, you know, I should be able to work, I should be able exactly. to kind of hang out, you know, like, I mean, I'm a, what do you call it, I'm a responsible member of society and I'm not a liability to you. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Exactly, yeah. And I think that also, I think that also happened to me at a time when uh, most of Europe was, and I think the US has proved it as well, there has been an overall global uh, move towards the distrust of migration. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. They say it's, people say that it's all about illegal immigrants, but it's not, It's, it's for everyone. Yeah. So it's, I think it's just a symptom of a bigger problem. I mean, there is a generalization. I mean, I'm, I'm personally going to just like touch wood over here and say that I never, I never struggled in the UK, but I do know my brother, uh, he went to London and Glasgow and he has struggled himself. But I mean, it's just, it's just really bad, uh, the situation at the moment. And this entire push towards immigration, anti-immigration, I mean, even Brexit. Uh, I was there in England when the Brexit vote happened. And I definitely, I mean, I'm a British citizen. And I mean, I find it very unacceptable that, you know, people can't adjust to the fact that people can come from other walks of life and still be constructive and still, you know, just be nice people. There's no need to walk around with this prejudice on your shoulder, but I guess it's just the world we live in. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the good thing is that I never felt that about myself amongst my peers. That's not good enough, but it is better than, um, better than most. Mm-hmm. And like I said, if people get an opportunity to know you, they will be okay with you. I've, I was lucky enough to spend Christmas with one of my friend's families and Easter with another. And I felt like I was welcome into their home like anyone else would have been. In fact, maybe it was even more interesting for them to have someone from abroad in their home yeah so 
I think it's more of a question of in their private, on, on an individual basis, I don't think most people are, are like that. It's just that when you're kind of in this collective, especially in Paris, because in Paris, you can't tell if, honestly, you can't tell if people look at you away because they don't like you or because they just, they have no time. It's yeah. a very stressed out city. <laughs> people are always on the move. Um, you know, if you stop bang in the middle of the street, people will push you aside and continue on their way. They couldn't be bothered. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really, it. I, I think it's just a question of kind of if if you if I so the reason I say that is if I had known this coming in and kind of known also that I would have to prove to the government for sure every, because here this visa renewal system is kind of a pain because mm-hmm. you do it every year. They don't give you a flat out for your visa or anything. Yeah. They're very strict about that. So if I had known that, then I would have maybe told myself to not worry about it and to relax. Yeah. Just part and of the process. It for the first time. Yeah. For the first time you experience it, it really it kind of shakes you. It, 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 it could even break your heart and tell you that maybe I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. fine, is what I would tell myself. I mean, it's just, yeah. yeah. It's just something that you just kind of have to kind of take it in your stride. And just with all the other issues and with all the other problems and your class load and your extracurricular activities, this is also just something that you learn to deal with. Talking about that, the lifestyle and the extracurriculars, how was that at university uh, in Paris? Uh, The extracurriculars, did you do sports, uh, the party scene, kind of, how was life outside of university for you? So I'll probably break this down into two because, um, so when I was at the undergrad, and I think it's it's somewhat similar for my friends who did their undergrad in Paris as well. At the undergrad, because we're younger and the stakes are lower, I think we just all had <laughs> more generally relaxed and fun time. In Loave, it's a small city and uh, it's cheap. So we all had, you know, at least we all had a living room in our apartments and we were having parties whenever we could. Yep. If the cops came over, we'd just switch to someone else's house and kind of keep rotating infinitely. Mm-hmm. So social life was good. Maybe it was it was a little strange in the sense that we were only 250 people at the campus. Okay. So it was even fewer people than Dune. So <laughs> you traded off kind of your private life. But at the same time, you were going to clubs where the student organization had kind of bought it out for the night. So no coming from the street. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm could come in from the street so you were in a very safe secure environment so i think mm-hmm. that was really cool in terms of sports instead i'd go and play football rugby rugby is big in france um, mm-hmm. basketball so there was a basic array of sports that you would find that do except for hockey i guess yeah <laughs> um, they, had, they had that in belgium so that 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 was really nice but uh sports were good at the undergrad and I was I was running the music club in my second year. We were playing a lot of concerts. We even played pubs and got paid. Wow. Um, well, we had to give that money to our student government so that they could continue the club, making yeah. us play, let us play <laughs> concerts. But so those two, so the two years in Loave were pretty good. I tried to continue that to some extent when I went on exchange to Belgium. Mm-hmm. And then I found myself in a city that was purely student. Uh, it was just students most of the land in that uh, city was owned by the university and it was a rich catholic university so they had the best facilities i was playing sports three times a week playing music at least once a week mm-hmm. and it was belgium so pubs were infinite <laughs> <laughs> and open open forever so undergrad was great in masters i found that uh, masters was basically moving to paris and so it was 
it's kind of a two layer layered um, procedure of kind of letting go of things. The first was that Paris is expensive mm -hmm. and house parties are great, but you're no longer in a situation where you can do a house party everywhere yeah. and all the time. So house parties, I've, I've been to maybe three or four that I didn't host myself. Mm -hmm. So they became a lot rarer. You go more to pubs and you got to go during happy hour. Otherwise, it's going to cost you a fortune. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you finally get around to doing the adult thing, which is to drinking in a, in a bar. Yeah. Um, so not, I mean, it was not a big step down. Sports, I tried to keep up, but it was harder because the Paris campus, you have to sign up and kind of make actual uh, you have to put away a slot in your timetable. And my problem was that I always had class when they would propose, they only had two slots a week. So I ended up playing five aside soccer with my buddies. And it was, it was not as fun as I used to have when I was doing training for like teams and things, but mm -hmm. it was still a good way to stay fit. And in terms of music, it was a bit of a letdown because they didn't really have kind of a similar approach for the campus here when it came to getting, getting us places to play or kind of even getting us a rehearsal room. But I decided to move in with my co-captain of the music club in my second year. So we just kind of took that on our own. Yeah. So I'd say that it just became a question of transferring responsibility from the university and more to yourself, which I think is part of growing older. Yeah, definitely. And also keeping in mind that undergrad was fun, but you know, I'm out of here in two years and I don't want to be left twiddling my thumbs because I didn't study enough or didn't pay enough attention mm -hmm. to my work. Uh, so it was a progressive, I guess, um, prioritization of the work-study balance. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that balance is something that I think is very important as a skill. I advise parents and students pretty much on a daily basis and it's always the academics that everyone gets hung up about. And I'm like, well, you know, bigger than the academics, there is a life skill of just being able to balance. I mean, the more, the more you grow, you know, like you get married, you have kids, you know, your job responsibilities increase, you know, you buy your own car, you rent your own flat, you know, you, just the responsibilities are forever increasing. And that balancing act that you have to play at university in terms of finances and I don't know, laundry, workload, social life, hobbies, extracurriculars. It just helps you understand and project yourself better when you actually have to enter the real world and you actually have to kind of, you know, grow up and be a contributing member of society. But yeah, I mean, so what's the plan now? You've graduated and, you know, things are looking good, as good as they can be considering coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. But Well, so I'm currently... So in a, in a nutshell, I did my master's in European affairs and with a specialization in economic policy. But the issue is that being still an Indian citizen, I can't work for the European Union yet. So my the idea is to kind of find some kind of legal status that in, in the coming years that would allow me to fulfill my dream of moving to Brussels and actually working for the EU or consulting for an agency that works with them. Mm -hmm. Because to me, the European Union represents one of the few bodies, like legislative and regulatory bodies of the world that does an impressive amount of work and mm -hmm. an impressive amount of time. It's kind of a machine. It's, it's not entirely well oiled, but I mean, they recently just, the European leaders came through with a breakthrough plan to kind of relaunch economic growth and development in Europe. Yep. Um, it, 
kind of there's a sense of solidarity between countries yeah uh, europeans uh, don't mess a, around with these things exactly the idea of um, not having to worry about healthcare and not having to worry about healthcare in the time of coronavirus especially was something that i was really grateful for there was a specific instance where the mayor of the city the, all the little town halls were giving out masks and they were kind of just taking stock of what was going on around them and so in the, for the for the time being as much as possible i'd like to stay and kind of profit from this <laughs> this kind of environment yep. so professionally i'm currently interning at an investment and asset management firm in Paris. Okay. I'm working in the corporate communications department and I also get to do a lot of work on public relations and internal communications. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was in when I was at Dune, I left as the editor in chief of the weekly. So that's mm-hmm. something writing and kind of expressing my opinion at something that I'd always wanted to do. I had to put that aside or rather repurpose it for writing academic papers for the longest time. but now that i'm back working in in a kind of a free defined role i can still continue to draw on those skills and uh work on establishing better communications whether in this case it's between the firm and the client or in the future it's between the eu institutions and its stakeholders so i think in some the idea is to to use european affairs and my experience in communications to kind of get to european public policy or public mm-hmm. affairs and um kind of get to be part of the well-oiled somewhat well-oiled machine that is the EU and give back to the society that has given me so much definitely and i wish you all the best of luck uh, in that that definitely sounds like a aspirational uh something to aspire to definitely so thank you for coming on the show today i just have one final question for you all things considered Are you an advocate of international higher education and if so why? Well, all things considered, I think it's a resounding yes from my side. But I feel like uh, as I mentioned there are a few things to there's a lot of things to keep in mind but a few things that are super important to me which will explain why I am an advocate. One, I think the financial aspect of it cannot be ignored. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you are someone who wants to study somewhere and who wants rather than approaching it as a question of studying somewhere it's a, I think it's a question of how you want to study it and the kind of freedom or the rigor that is attached to it mm-hmm. that is what led me to choose Sciences Po because I was sure that in my first year I would get to experience everything and then as each year passed it kind of became like a funnel where my choices became more obvious so i think you kind of have to identify these kind of universe these universities that will let you take a lot of decision making but also tell you when to sit down and listen uh, i think that is harder to come by in india i think there are a lot of great private universities there's ashoka university that i considered as well but at the time i felt like it was too young but the So the core first question is kind of identifying what kind of curriculum you want to study and then of course is to find which universities are best for that and then if finance is an issue then there's a third layer which is kind of generosity and seeing how much their endowment is mm-hmm. which influenced my de- influenced my decisions in the US as well as to come to Sciences Po and so the availability of financial aid and that the university was a big factor which actually brought my tuition down to lower than what I would have been paying at a private university in India. Wow. 
So, of course, cost of living was a different question, but yeah. still. <laughs> tuition, let's say, if we just say tuition, it was, it was well covered. And then I think this, another major thing is the fact that you have to live somewhere. It's hard to, it's obviously hard to tell when, when you're thinking, when you're dreaming about going to, I don't know, New Haven and studying yeah. at Yale. But, you know, the first thing you, when you say to an American or someone who lives in the area about New Haven, they'll be like, mm. Yale is great, New Haven is different. Yeah. And so it's the same for a lot of, a lot of places. You know, you also have a difference between a lot of European universities, for example, are like Columbia, let's say, let's put it that way, they're built in cities at a time when the city had already been built. So they weren't universities around which the towns grew up. Yeah. I think that is an important thing to keep in mind because for me, because we, you know, we've been to Dune, I was hell bent on not having a campus environment. So Absolutely that kind of same. thing, the idea of having to find your own flat was not something that bothered me at all. And when you go to, I think, at least my sister went to Delhi University. So the only experience I have of an Indian university is from that. Mm-hmm. And I remember just kind of seeing the whole paying guest environment in Delhi, where even if you're not on campus, you're kind of constantly surrounded by these neighborhoods that's just full of students. And yeah, so you're virtually always living on campus. So that was something that was not appealing to me. And finally, just the idea of being forced out of your comfort zone and being forced yeah. to live in a new country, to experience new life, uh, to get a fresh start. Yeah. yeah, culture, of course, um, you know, whether it's France, whether it's Spain, whether even if it's, you know, you go to New England in the US, it's so much more different than California. You go to Quebec or you go to Ontario, huge differences there. So even within countries, you have these major differences. So, you know, it's, it's, it's basically a, an extremely valuable opportunity to go abroad, learn something. Not at any cost is my <laughs> is my recommendation to get it at a reasonable cost and yeah. to to know that that you, the only thing that you will be getting out of it won't be just a degree but also a plan on how to go forward in life and also the experience of living in a new country and to know that you can hack it if you can hack it here you can hack it anywhere.